1 Corinthians chapter 8 says this, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, if, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren... And wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Let's pray once again. Lord, we come to a passage that deals with some difficult issues among the body that will help us to demonstrate genuine love and compassion toward one another better. So teach us, we pray this morning, help us to apply these truths to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to a passage, and uh, Paul has been receiving, he's received a letter from the Corinthians. They've been asking him many questions. He's just answered a number of issues relating to marriage and singleness and divorce and remarriage. And now he's turning to another issue. That's why chapter 8 begins, now concerning the things sacrificed to idols. It's evidently something that was a problem in Corinth that either he was aware of or they had specifically written and asked him about. And so uh, he's going to deal with this. And this is a difficult issue because sometimes Christians like to have lists, all the things we cannot do and all the things that we can do. And we want it that clear that, no, I can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. But there are some things where there are some gray issues, where the Bible doesn't necessarily condemn them in an outright manner, and yet it may not be right for you to participate in it because of its worldly influence. And so what are some of those issues today? What are some of the issues that we have which we might call gray issues? Not gray matter, gray issues. Drinking alcohol. So drinking alcohol is one of these issues where, I mean, Jesus' first miracle, the wedding at Cana, he turned water into wine, and wine had alcoholic um, uh, elements in it. It, it, it. People could get drunk off of it. And we know the Bible is clear, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine. But 
What about alcohol? How do we make decisions regarding alcohol? Um, uh, I was at a church um, a number of years ago for a missionary meeting, and uh, some of the missionaries and some of the missionary committee members went out the night before and were drinking shots, and they were not very, um, not very with it that morning. And I asked why they were so tired, and, and one, of them, the, one of the ladies from the church says, we were naughty last night. And I said, well, what were you doing? We were drinking shots at a bar. I still think about that because um, it was a real event. I'm not just you know, being hyperbolic here. This is, this is what's going on in some churches before the missions meeting. Uh, hey, the missionaries are home. Let's go out to uh, O'Reilly's or not. It's an auto parts store. Whatever. I don't. <laughs> I don't even know the name of the the bars. So, but you see what I'm saying. So, so uh, I can't think of an uh, of a justification for taking a shot unless you were on a desert island and really thirsty, and that's all there was. But uh, even still, I'm not sure that would do much for you. I mean, really, what's the purpose of it? And so we have that extreme going on in the church. We have other people who are teetotalers, who, who their conscience is actually violated if they drink alcohol. Maybe they were, were alcoholics. Maybe their conscience is violated if they come into your house and see a bar with hard liquor there. Um, so, so how do we make decisions about that? What's another issue of conscience? Yes, Whether they're, excuse me? A glutton, a glutton. Yeah, let's not talk about that today. Let's talk about that after lunch. So (laughs) gluttony is an issue. It's a sin in the Bible. And so it's not about what you're eating. It's about how much you're eating. And uh, by the way, have you noticed Claim Jumper has got their portions a lot smaller than they used to be? Anyways, um, but it's, uh, yeah. If you're not a good speller and you see a, a... a menu, it says glutton-free menu. It's actually not about gluttony. It's <laughs> something else altogether, but I think it is smaller portions. But it is true that gluttony is a sin, and that really is more of a black or white issue, but, but it's just not very much. We don't deal with it in the church, do we? We don't deal with it. And so, um, you know, and it, it's similar to the drunkenness in, in that, you know, eating is not sin, uh, but eating too much is sin. Yes? Clothing. Clothing. So uh, whether or not you uh, should, should wear clothing? <laughs> what? What? Modesty. Okay, right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this has been a huge issue in the church, whether, I mean, uh, whether or not, you know, uh, you know, at my college there was an issue, Christian college in the 1990s, there was an issue whether or not uh, boys and girls should be using a swimming pool at the same time together. Uh, and there are some people from a background which, wow, that just violates their conscience. Uh, and I, I guess it depends on what their bathing costumes look like, right? But the, um, uh, it, it can be an issue of conscience. Yes? Dancing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let me just, let me just give it. We're speaking about general principles here. We're not going to bring up any specific people, especially if they're in this room. So generally speaking, movies and TV shows. Yeah. Like, I think the other day, Tom Shaw came out with a movie, and it's a 
Okay. So there are a number of issues there when it comes to movies and, and your conscience. And are you violating your conscience? Are you causing others to stumble by the movies that you see? Are you, are you harming your conscience because of the content you're allowing yourself to sit through? These are all, those are all good conversations to have. Are you being legalistic by saying, we're going we're gonna to deal with the uh, Broadcasting Association and see what, they, what their rating is, and, and uh, you know, I, I will not do anything more than a 13-year-old can watch or something like that, because there are some PG, PG movies that uh, uh, might cross that line. So how do we make those decisions? That's good. What else? Yes. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee's a real issue. Uh, I, I, I know that... Uh, I know that some people are afraid that I've just brought that up. It's, I mean, the passage talks about meat, and now you're talking about coffee. But um, how much coffee is too much, and is, is your body addicted to it, and, and is it right for you to be drinking as much as you are, and, and so forth. There are other issues uh, I'm kind of fishing for, more current issues, like really going on today. Yes. Music. Yes, that's a current issue. Yes. Vaccines. Right. Oh, yeah. We live in that world. Somehow we come on this campus and we forget there's something else going on in the nation. Vaccines or masks. There's nothing in the Bible specifically, right? And so this is why we're coming to this, to this passage to try and help us, give us wisdom when we make decisions regarding issues of conscience. Um, let's take a look at, at our passage 1 Corinthians, 1, or 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13, we're going to look at three principles that will help you to make spiritually wise decisions when dealing with issues of conscience. Three biblical principles that will help you to make spiritually wise decisions when dealing with issues of conscience or gray areas, so-called gray areas. Um, and the first principle is found in verses 1 through 3, and that's the principle of love with knowledge, the principle of love with knowledge. Let's take a look at verses one through three. Verse one, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. So uh, this, is, this is Paul responding to them. Back in chapter seven, he says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, presumably uh, there's, they're writing about this as well in chapter Eight, and some, at least in the church, were saying, "Well, we know we have knowledge, and what is their knowledge? Their knowledge is down in verse four. There is no God but one, and that there's no such thing as a, another God. There is only Yahweh is the only God. He is the only true and living God. There are false gods. There are demons who are not gods, but there is no other living God." There are those who attempt to be Lord over people's lives, but they are not deities. They are not genuine deities. There is only one God. And so you can imagine uh, in ancient times, 
when uh, you come out of a, a Greek culture where they believed in polytheism, many gods, they also believed in polydemonism, which meant that demons actually indwelt and affected all kinds of things, including meat. And so uh, the polytheistic religions often would take meat, bring it to the priest. You would take a third of the piece of meat and you would sacrifice it there on the altar. And a third of it you would give to the high priest as payment. And a third of it you would take home to eat for yourself. And so that was the practice of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And you would say, I want to sacrifice this to a certain idol. And the priests who had a, a large intake of meat, you can imagine, um, they would often take the, their third, and if they didn't need it, they would take it to a butchery and, uh, or to the butcher, and then they would, um, they would off, you know, sell it to him at a, at a you know, cheap price, and then you could get that from the butchery. And sometimes, butchery, I'm using an African word, I think, the, the butcher, right? So, um, but anyways, they, uh, they would take it there, and uh, you could get it at a discount rate, and a lot of people liked that because... Their conscience was not bothered at all because they had knowledge. And the knowledge was this thing was sacrificed to a piece of metal. And that piece of metal does nothing. It's not even real. It's not, I mean, it's real metal, but it's not a god. It has eyes but doesn't see. It has a mouth but doesn't speak. It's just a piece of metal. And so I have no problem eating something that was sacrificed to nothing. That's the knowledge that was going on there. And that makes sense. That's a really good argument. I like that argument. I like meat, and I like that argument, and cheap meat sounds good. But the problem was that they had forgot the principle that knowledge without love can be harmful. And so that's why this first principle is that we need knowledge with love, the principle of knowledge with love or love with knowledge. Take a look again at the middle of verse 1. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. That word arrogant used six times in this book means puffed up, proud. Um, It causes division. Uh, Love edifies. Love builds up. It strengthens. The word is actually to build a house, but it's used to speak about building others up. I was a youth pastor, and I tried to encourage uh, the kids in my youth group to use this word. It's a very biblical word. It's found throughout Scripture. So we made it our little catchphrase to edify one another, edify. When I hear a kid tearing someone down, I'd say, edify. One day I'm driving the kids uh, in the church bus, and, and I hear a kid tearing someone down. I said, hey, edify. And the kid behind me goes, yeah, edify, stupid. <laughs> Which um, I appreciated the support, but I... The, We get the whole idea. It's building one another up. It's strengthening one another. So the body of Christ is supposed to do. And love does that. But love doesn't do that on its own. If you have no knowledge about the Bible and you're trying to love others, it's ineffective. And if you have knowledge but without love, it is worthless. And that's what we'll see later in in 1 Corinthians 13. Just turn there with me to 13 verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, did Paul know all mysteries and all knowledge? No. How do we know that? Because in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. So he, he didn't have full knowledge. So in verses 1 and 2, what he's doing, he's speaking hyperbolically. 
he's speaking in an exaggerated sense to make his point. He's saying, even if I could speak with the tongues of every man and even angelical languages, which we don't even know what those would be. We know that angels spoke to men in human languages. But even if I knew all languages but had not love, I'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Even if I had the gift of prophecy and knew all mysteries and all knowledge, which I don't, even if I had all faith so that I could remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And so Paul's point here is that love has to be intermingled with what we do know. That's what he's saying back here in verse 1 and 2. Um, he goes on in verse 2 of chapter 8. He says, If anyone supposes that he knows anything, yet he has not known as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. He's simply saying there that love is really an evidence of knowing God. If you know God, God is love. This is 1 John 4, right? He loved us because we first, we, we, we love him because he first loved us. Yep, 1 John 4, 19. So when we look at uh, 1 John 4 and all that's there, it's, it's an affirmation that those who really know Christ and know God the Father know what true love is and are known by God. And the same thing is being taught here. If anyone loves God, he is known by him. So love alone is not enough. Knowledge alone is not enough. But knowledge plus love builds up. And that is the principle here. That is the principle that the Corinthians are needing to know. And I think that's something that we need to know because we are often forgetting that when we're thinking about being right. You might think that you have knowledge about, uh, uh, you know, it could be any of these issues we've talked about, music or alcohol or television or whatever, but how are you using that knowledge to build others up? I repented. I shared this with my, my, our Bible study, but um, with the mask issue, uh, I, I came to a place where I, I, I realized I wasn't practicing love. Uh, I, was, I went to the golf driving range and... Um, uh, the guy, I was outside, and I went to the window to buy a bucket of balls, and the guy says to me, um, you need to wear a mask. And I said, uh, have you heard? It's good news. Uh, we don't need to wear masks if we're outside now. And he said, you're on private property. You need to wear a mask. And so I looked around. I had a mask in my car. I didn't have a mask on me. I looked around, and there's a trash can right there. Now, I lived in Africa for 19 years, and I've, I've been through some pretty... pretty um, rough times and survived. And, and I, I thought to myself, really, is it, is it just about the mask? And so I, I turned around and I started shuffling, rifling through the garbage. And about halfway down, I saw two masks. They were in pretty good condition, actually. <laughs> He's watching me and I pull one of the masks out and I slip it on over my face. And I said, do you feel good about this? What we're doing to each other here? How, you know, this, does this make you feel like I'm safer now? Uh, totally wrong. Totally wrong attitude, <laughs> right? I repented. Uh, and, and the thing is, is that uh, I also, by the way, just in case you're wondering, afterwards I went to my car and got my mask. And he, he got on the microphone and he said, attention all golfers, just a reminder that while you are on the driving range, 
you need to have your mask on the entire time. That was his response to me. You see, what's happening is I'm, I'm like, mm, see that? And he's like, well, see this? And see that? See that? You know what that is? That's a bunch of knowledge without any love. And, and I'm guilty of that. But I, I think I'm not the only one here. And that's the first principle when you're making any of these decisions. How is it building up others around you? Second principle. Second principle, the principle of conscience, verses 4 through 7. The principle of conscience. Verse 4 says, Therefore, concerning the eating of the things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. But even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, there are many fake gods, um, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. That's beautiful, by the way. Just take a look at verses six. Verse six there. We have God the Father the source of all things, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, for his glory, for his name. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. He is the agent. He is, we exist through him. We have an agency to the Father through the Son who is equal with the Father. So what we have here is a clear teaching of co-equality between the Father and the Son, who is also equal with the Spirit, though he doesn't go into that here. So this is, this is amazing that we have this teaching. Buddha is not a god. Krishna is not a god. Allah is not a god. Aphrodite was not a goddess. Zeus was not a god. Only Yahweh is God. There is no God but one, verse 4 says. Verse 7 says, however, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So we have a a difficult translation here in verse 7. It says, not all men have this knowledge. We can understand that, right? There is only one God, but not everybody knows that. Even some believers who come out of a pagan, idolatrous uh, worship system and come to faith in Christ have all the memories associated with that worship system. A lot of times when we talk about idols, we speak about idols of the heart and what are you coveting? Anything you love more than the Lord is an idol in your heart, and that's true. But uh, the first church that I pastored, we had a a couple, uh, an Indian couple who used to practice Hinduism, and they came to faith in Christ, worshiping there for more than a year, and he came to me and he said, "I I have to confess, we finally got rid of our idols. And, and I was thinking more like spiritual idols, but he's, I said, how, how so? And he said, well, I told my wife, we cannot have these in the house anymore. These have been in my family for generations. And so he says, I'm going to go for a walk, and I'm going to ask you to get rid of them, and don't tell me what you do with them. 
And it was really hard for him. He was really attached to pieces of metal. And, and uh, she put him in a bed sheet and walked down to a lake and threw him in the lake. And that's what they did to get rid of their idols, literally getting rid of idols. Uh, he, he doesn't need to know where they are. But anyways, the, the whole principle is that we have affection set on other things besides the Lord, and that competes with our affection against him, and that is offensive to him, and we need to get rid of these idols. But the idols are nothing. But not everybody knows that, really, in practice because their affections are still divided. It says, but some being accustomed, that word in verse 7, accustomed, um, the word actually means habit or habitual use. What he's saying is that those who are accustomed to thinking that the idol was real, they're used to that kind of affection for that false deity, They eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience is being weak, being weak is defiled. What is wrong with that? What is the problem? I mean, if if it truly is fake, why is it wrong for them to to violate their conscience? What are your thoughts? Yes, Jen. We don't want to sear our consciences. That's right. Our conscience, you know, Jiminy Cricket said that let your conscience be your guide, which is... Um, not a bad emphasis, but the wrong principle, because it's not a guide. It's not something you follow. Although if you're working for Disney, that's a good, maybe a good thing to bring up, that uh, your conscience is important, and even Disney said that. But um, the, 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 the conscience is a warning system. It's a warning system. It's not a, it's not a light that guides you. It's more like a, a skylight that lets light in, and you can sear that or cover that over, and it gets darker and darker. The more you neglect it, the more you sear it. It is a warning system. Uh, Pastor MacArthur wrote a book that is really an excellent book. Everyone should read it called The Vanishing Conscience. The Vanishing Conscience. He preached a series on the same issue. And one of the illustrations he used was from 1984 in the Avianca Airlines plane crash in Spain. Uh, That plane crash involved a pilot who was headed north on Avianca Airlines and uh, had a a flight full of people. And... um, they found the black box, and so they went back and listened to the recording after the crash. And um, the pilot was listening to uh, an English voice. He was evidently a Spanish pilot. And the, the voice, as the plane was headed towards a mountain, was saying, pull up, pull up, pull up, repeatedly over and over again. And at some stage, the pilot turned off the warning system, and he said, shut up, gringo. And the entire plane crashed into the side of a mountain, and all the lives were lost. And that is what we do when we neglect our conscience. We hear it. Our conscience is there to warn us, this is not right, especially as a young Christian. There are a lot of things you're, you got. And so it is wrong for you to violate your conscience because your conscience is a gift from God that every man has, whether you're saved or unsaved. And the more you suppress your conscience, the less you are susceptible to be hearing your warning system that God has given you. So that is the principle of the conscience, and that is helpful for us when we make decisions. When we're making decisions, we need to realize that the principle of love with knowledge, and we also need to recognize the principle of the conscience, verses 4 through 7. There's a third principle in our passage, 
and that is the principle of the weaker brother. The principle of the weaker brother, verses 8 through 13. Verse 8 says, But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. What he's saying there, food is neutral. It's not what you eat, it's how much of it you eat, right? I mean, that would be an issue, but that's not the issue he's talking about here. He's basically saying there is no food that is uh, going to defile you or no food that's going to make you super holy. No, I don't care if it has a Bible verse on the package or on the bottom of the cup. It is not more nutritious for you. Um, and you have the freedom to, to eat it and drink it, or you have the freedom not to eat it or drink it. Sugar? Well, let's talk about that some other time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, verse 9, but take care that this liberty, this freedom you have, this liberty, Acts chapter 10, you can imagine for the Jew as well. I mean, Paul's writing to a congregation that would have been mainly from a pagan background, but there would have been Jews there as well. From the Jews having this whole idea of pork and dietary restrictions and the Sabbath, all those were issues that were, made it difficult for them to fellowship with Gentiles. And some of them were still observing those things, and they were weaker in that because that had been a part of their worship system prior to coming to faith in Christ. And so for them to eat pork was a huge hurdle, and so they would abstain from it. Even though in Acts chapter 10, Peter saw a vision where he clearly was told, go kill and eat, that all things were permissible. All those creeping, crawling things that they could never have before that you can have now. Um, And so he says, but take care, verse 9, that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. A stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining at an idol's temple, you know that there's no such thing as an idol. So you go to a temple and you're actually eating there. And they've come out of a a situation where that, that meat and dining in that location was associated with all kinds of debaucherous living. And now they see you there and they're like, what is he doing there? Or they're like, well, if he's strong enough to be there, maybe I'll go there. And then they go back to their debaucherous living, and you've caused a stumbling block by flaunting your freedom. So the principle of the weaker brother is that the stronger brother cares for him, doesn't flaunt his freedom, his liberty. Verse 10, for if someone sees you of knowledge dying in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened? to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. And then there's this comment that just should get us right here. This is where it should just hurt. The brother for whose sake Christ died. Jesus died for this person. Jesus loved him so much that Jesus died to pay for his sins. And we're not considering our brother or our sister. We're only thinking about ourselves. We know that the Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. We know that we have this idea that really they should grow out of that. That's immature. 
But instead of building them up so that they can grow out of it, we trip them up. We violate the principle of the weaker brother. We ruin him. Verse 12, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. He's saying here, this person has not only been redeemed by the blood of Christ, but he is a member of the body of Christ. And when you live your life in such a way that you want to flaunt your freedom publicly and enjoy all the things without concern about someone else, that person is a member of the body of Christ as you are, and you're saying, I don't care about Christ. Therefore, verse 13, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That's an extreme position. But that was Paul's heart because he's essentially saying, I care about my brother so much that I will deal with anything that might cause him to stumble severely. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 7. Well, actually, let's go back to verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone around his neck and drown in the depths of the sea. Verse 7, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, but woe to the man through whom they, the stumbling block comes. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye or have two eyes and be cast into fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, one of these young believers. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. So you see the love of Christ there and essentially... Uh, he's not saying that you should literally uh, cut off your hand. He's not saying that you should literally pluck out your eye. How do we know that? How do we know this is hyperbolic language again? Because your hand doesn't cause you to sin. Your eye doesn't cause you to sin. It's not like you're in the grocery store, you're looking over here and your hand's pulling things off the aisle, putting it in your pocket and you have no idea what that's going on, you go out and say, excuse me, sir, I think there's something in your pocket. No, there's nothing in my pocket. And you look down, and then you say, oh, it was my hand. <laughs> it wasn't me. If, if that's how the hand worked, then you would cut off your hand. But this is a heart issue, and we're not talking about an organ. This is, this is your innermost being. It's a sin issue. And deal with it severely. And so what our Lord taught was that if you have an attitude which causes someone else to sin and you become a stumbling block, deal with that severely. And that's why Paul said, I'll never eat meat again if that's what it means. If that's what it takes, that is fine with me. So we have a little bit of time left here, and I want to just pause and ask about questions because, again, the application of this is, is important. Yes, 
the tyranny of the weaker brother. Uh, give me more than that. Right. So, so how, do we, how do we help a brother to inform their conscience? Okay, so that's a good question. Um, and, and first of all, there are some issues that are not necessarily weaker brother issues, and sometimes they get put in that category. For example, with the mask issue, which must be done in love, by the way, I want you to know that. Um, if you... There are some people whose consciences might be violated by wearing a mask. There are some whose consciences are violated by not, by when, when you don't wear a mask or if they don't wear a mask. So which, which brother should yield to which brother? That, that's a difficult scenario, and it may not necessarily fall into this completely. But when it comes to um, what Paul is saying here is that the wrong approach is just to go on living not being sensitive to your brother. The right approach would be to love your brother, to abstain from it uh, so that he is free from being in an awkward position. And eventually, as you continue to fellowship with him, you may have opportunities to talk about these issues, and he may grow over that, and you may be able to enjoy a meal together of meat without having to wonder where it came from. And so I think that you know, a lot, of, a lot of the solutions that happen among the body happen when two believers spend more time with each other trying to practice love with one another and discussing biblical principles like these. So that's kind of a general answer, but does that help, Pete? Okay. Yes? Okay, so the question is, how do we, um, uh, how might we enjoy the freedom of partaking in an alcoholic beverage without causing your brother to sin? Okay, so thanks, Ivan. The the the, the I'm 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 going to, uh, you know, I have a pretty um, I'm pretty passionate about this uh, because I, I have counseled families where alcohol has just ravished their home. And alcohol intensifies all kinds of problems. Uh, had a couple come to me, I, I think I might have shared with you, but the, uh, the daughter and the wife came to me about the husband and said, we don't think you realize what's going on in our home. We just found, we just went through and got all the bottles that were hidden, and we found 45 bottles that were hidden. That's what's going on in our home. And so you start to realize how this is affecting families. Um, and when you look at alcohol in the scripture, and just equating it, saying, well, we should be able to drink as much as they do. First of all, there are three words for wine in the scriptures. One of them was a regular uh, uh, wine, which was mixed with water. Some of it was new wine, which was not as fermented, though it was fermented. And some of it was what they called strong drink. And strong drink is equivalent to what we would have as wine today, which is undiluted, 
and highly fermented. And so just saying that the wine we have today is the same as what you might have there, we have Paul giving instruction to, uh, to Timothy to drink a little wine mixed with water for his stomach. So, it, it, you know, medicinal uh, uses, uh, pure water purification. There are so many times today, and this is, this is where... Uh, there's so many times today where alcohol is just not necessary. We have pure water, we have other options, and it's not necessary. And I will say this, we all agree that drunkenness is sin, okay? Um, what I'm going to ask is each person who enjoys the freedom of drinking alcohol is that before you take a drink, you ask yourself first, what is my motive? What is my desire? Is it because this is a taste that I've acquired and I can do, drink it in moderation and it is a hint of, I hope this makes me feel a little bit unwound? I would challenge you to question your heart. Are you not looking for a feeling from that substance? And I think that that is, that is a heart issue that you need to deal with. When it comes to weaker brothers, and this is a weaker brother issue because, like I said, it goes to the extreme where we're drinking shots with the missionaries, all right? And uh, so I would say that, um, that you should, you should uh, avoid really uh, public drinking. That would, out of love, out of deference for those around you, that would be my advice, my counsel. Uh, I wouldn't be so legalistic that if, if I come into a restaurant and you're there, that you're going to have to, you know, you know, pull up the napkin and like, oh, no. You know, quite frankly, I'm just not that observant. Uh, and my memory's poor as well. So, um, but I, 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 I hope that gives you, I want to deal with this in an, you know, to, to the level because I think it's a serious issue. I have never acquired the alcohol, a, a, a taste for alcohol. I do not want it. Alcohol is a mocker. It's not wise for kings. If it's not wise for kings, I'm not a king, but I, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to be a fool. And um, so uh, ice cream mocks me. It calls out from the refrigerator, finish me, I'm still here. I don't need another mocker in my house. I've got four kids and ice cream. Yes? A general example? General. Well, it's a general example, but no one knows people. Um, my parents were in a conference in Ukraine, Western Ukraine, and this lady came up and was very offended because our Christian ladies weren't wearing head coverings. And she was, like, super offended. And, and in her mind, the bigger your head covering, the more faith you had. So for her, like, it was re- your head covering directly related to your faith. Yeah. So the question is... Um, uh, what do you do in this situation, in uh, Eastern European situation, where uh, some, some Christian ladies were there and another Christian lady came and saw them and said, was offended because they're not wearing head coverings? And we're going to get to head coverings because Corinthians teaches about head coverings, so that's going to be uh, in a future week, which is going to be really fun. Um, uh, but um, uh, it was an issue in the church today. Uh, it, back then, it's an issue in the church today. And so we want to take Scripture seriously. How do we, if your conviction, if your understanding of Scripture is that head coverings, putting a cloth over your head for worship is not necessary, then, which I assume most of the ladies here uh, have that conviction, then the question is, 
how do you respond? Well, ideally, everything in here uh, is, should be within a local church context. And so we are in a situation where we're interacting with others. If there's a situation where we might be offensive, you know, we're going to do a church camp with some ladies. I think, uh, you know, two ladies are coming together, two, two churches are coming together for a women's conference. One church practices something, another church doesn't. Really, you should think about this beforehand and out of love and deference, say, how can we make sure that we're not a stumbling block to you? Um, I think, again, spending time together and communication are so important when there are difficulties. Separating and isolation does not help. Time is not a healer. God is a healer. And so getting people together with the same spirit and the same truth and in love is what we need. Yes, question. Okay, what would be some examples of today worshiping idols today? An idol today, an idol of the heart, is anything that takes affection away from, that is due to Christ. Anytime you say, this is more important to me than you, Father, it is an idol. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a sinful thing. Your marriage can be an idol in your heart. Marriage is a good thing. It is a God-ordained thing. But if your marriage is more important to you than Jesus Christ, it is an idol. And the same thing could be true of of, um, any other. It could be a possession, a car, your children. This idea that you have of, uh, you know, and a lot of times bitterness and anger towards God comes and it reveals to us that we were loving something more than him. So does that answer your question? Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay, Ivan. And I think the, the question is, is it something that you could be unaware of? We are so much better at looking at other people's sin and not seeing our own. Which, again, is, is what I love about the whole, this whole letter to Corinth and the emphasis on a body and love. And we're going to get that in chapter 12 about the body of Christ and interacting with one another. But we, this is why being a part of a fellowship group, a part of a Bible study, uh, with the same church, so that you're seeing people you know, Thursday evening, so that you're, you're calling them during the week. You're doing life with people. You're maybe, you, it may risk, you run the risk of having a conflict with those very same people and seeing them a lot. This is good because it should build us up. And so really want to encourage you to serve one another, love one another, and be a part of this. Last question, yes. Okay, I like it. If you, if you, it's an idol if you're willing to sin to get it, sin to keep it, or sin if you can't have it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to give you some time to fellowship and to tidy up a little bit and make sure that we're out in about 15 minutes or so. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being a part of this body here at Grace Community Church. This is a local congregation, and it's easy for us to slip in and out of here and think, I just need the knowledge. Lord, thank you for the reminder of these principles. Thank you, Father, that 
knowledge and love together are important, that the conscience should not be violated, and that we should love others and especially have care for and sacrificially love weaker brothers. Help us, Lord, to input, to, to apply this to our lives uh, throughout the week in many situations that this might even be a testimony uh, to those outside the church that they would see the love and care here that is different from the world's care, which is all about themselves and self-serving and self-gratifying. Lord, help us to influence the world through our wholehearted devotion to you. May it not be half-hearted in any manner. We commit this to you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.